This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again with another episode. Today, I've got two special guests for you. Really had a good opportunity to get to know these guys in the last couple of months. They, they just closed on a big mobile home portfolio complicated deal. They both got day jobs. They've got regular life. They decided to get in MHP investing and they're, they're kicking butt. So excited to have them tell a little bit more about their story. Please help me welcome my guests, Ryan Hill and Brett Bowman. Hey guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us, Fred. You got it, man. Yeah. Ryan, Brett. Well, I know you a little bit, obviously, but uh, for our audience, they, they may or may not know you as well. So tell us a little bit more about your background and then, and then we'll get into how you guys got into MHP because it's definitely a not the normal path to, that you guys have taken, but you've, you've, you've jumped in both feet and it's, it's uh, going well for you. Yeah, absolutely. For, so I'm Ryan Hill. I'm, I'm uh, by day, I'm an elementary school principal in uh, the Boise, Idaho area. And uh, so my background, I taught uh, high school science for 13 years and then became an administrator. Um, I was also a real estate agent for 13 years, uh, single family real estate where I had uh, worked with another partner for, gosh, uh, that was about 13 years as well. So moved to Idaho a couple of years ago and uh, self-educated in the mobile home park space, probably a year, year and a half before we purchased our first, my wife and I, in uh, July 2019, so about two years ago. Um, a year ago, I didn't know Brett. Uh, he didn't know me. And we, you know, kind of a, a God thing, serendipitous thing. Uh, connected us and and uh, we've we've just kind of been expanding exponentially um, since this last fall really so um, we own six now and have four or five under contract and so mostly in the midwest no we own eight sorry there's two up in sun valley idaho that we're um, we're general partners on as well so excellent yep. Hey, so Brett Bowman. Um, so my background is mostly in technology. So I've been in tech sector for over a dozen years, um, mostly in corporate finance and uh, complicated project management type of roles. So really what I do with MHP is kind of perfect for my background doing a lot of, I mean, you know, for, there's a lot of financial analysis that goes on, a lot of underwriting, tons of time in underwriting, right? <laughs> and then there's a ton of complicated pro hairy projects we get involved in too and that's kind of stuff that excites me so um mostly what drew me to mhp i started investing in single family homes several years ago and kind of i think the typical real estate path of just trying to do kind of the burr strategy where i'd buy one rehab it refi repeat kind of thing and uh just started realizing that wasn't scaling as, as fast as i thought it could with you know you got to have an individual loan for each time you got got to have different property managers or I mean sometimes you can scale a little bit there but it goes slow and then I started realizing that there's better things to do in corporate or I'm sorry in commercial um, I got involved in some multifamily commercial uh, industrial commercial and then like Ryan kind of alluded to we kind of stumbled into meeting each other and getting to know each other and he he already was doing MHP kind of convinced me that was the path and I've been loving it so that's kind of where we've been 
That's great. No, I mean, I had a similar experience with the, trying the burr method and I did it successfully for a few years, but it was just scalability was like, okay, can I really own a hundred houses or 200 houses or a thousand mm-hmm. houses? And, and people do it. I know one guy in particular in Kansas does it well, but it's very few and far between to do it well and have the reserves and have the management. And then as a multifamily was very competitive cap rate wise and in Kansas city, probably less so than the West coast of you guys, but it's, it's still a competitive. So MHP seemed to check all the boxes, real estate, diversification, economies of scale, limited competition. And then as, as Brett alluded to very, uh, very intensive as far as underwriting, financial analysis, operational stuff. So it's, it's, it's a challenge every day. Uh, so that's kind of makes it exciting, makes it fun. I, I don't remember last time I was bored from, from my work. I wish I was bored more. I, I joke with my team, like one of these days I'm going to golf on Fridays, but I haven't golfed all year. And I don't, I don't even know where my clubs are to be honest. So I, uh, in, I think they're in my basement, but uh, anyway, uh, MHP has been fun. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, specifically your first couple of deals and how you, and some of the challenges you guys had to face and how you, how you got through them. I know the recent portfolio in Iowa, you guys had some orange bird sewer issues, which are, those are definitely no picnic. And then, you know, you guys have been buying them for the most part, uh, halfway across the country. You guys are both yeah. West coast, you're buying in the Midwest. So how does that work from a, a DD? Clearly you're going to budget more money for flights than, than I will on drive time. Right. But, but aside from just different DD, how does that, how does that uh, work for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a, a strong management team that's based out of Kansas City area. So that's part of the reason why we were looking, you know, four to five hours in a radius outside of there. So they started um, by managing my first park that I purchased two years ago. Uh, one, it's a married couple, one's an inspector and, uh, on commercial and residential and, a, a, he has his own handyman company as well. And then his, his wife does a great job of, of just the, the typical property management pieces. So they will, you know, they're, they're kind of our, our, uh, the folks that will go out and do the initial due diligence. So. Like for example, our Missouri parks, we have three under contract right now. Um, and we had a short DD period for two of them and they were able to get out there within a couple of days. So uh, that's a big reason why we've been able to scale quickly in, in the area. Um, and then they're, they're helping oversee the managers at the other parks as well. So Brett and I and our, uh, some of our other partners, uh, we take turns flying out. Uh, I just got back a couple of weeks ago from, we were in Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri, I think about 10 parks total and just plowing through them. So just all day long, which is, it's fun for me. It's, it's fun for both of us. We doesn't seem like work to us. Um, just uncovering the rocks, uh, talking to the contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, we have everything from lagoon to uh, wastewater treatment plant, uh, city utilities, of course. And so you know, you've done a lot of podcasts for it on all of those different fun adventures and those private utilities. And so, you know, we had Orangeburg and in, in uh, one of the parks we closed on and it, there wasn't a, a lot of Orangeburg and actually it's, it's still surprisingly in really good condition. So we, you know, we don't have any plans day one or, or year one even um, to start replacing that uh, until, until the needs there. Uh, but it's, it seems to be holding up, but yeah, it, it's an adventure for sure. But we have good people in the area uh, that do a lot of that legwork for us. 
No, that's not, I mean, that may, that sounds good. I mean, it makes sense in on the Orangeburg in particular. If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? We've got a park in mid-Missouri that it's got some Orangeburg, but the key is you identify it, you camera the lines, and then you you have a professional bid and say, look, you have this level of problem where you don't. Same with the one we're closing on in about two weeks. It's, I think we budgeted 15000 To replumb the whole park would cost a quarter million, but we've got 15000 We got We know exactly where it's at, where it's failing, we know what's been replaced and we've got a camera line for like 600 bucks. There's a group out of independence, Missouri that does it. Camera guys sometimes cost two or three times that much, but this guy is willing to travel within the region and he's pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, so definitely with you there on, you know, don't, don't fix them. It's not broke, but tell me real quick also on this management team you found that's mm-hmm. obviously helped you scale. Did you already know them or did they come with the park or did you find them on the internet? Cause that's always the challenge <laughs> is finding good people you can trust and scale with because if 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 you you know and and if you tell me their name and phone number i i I would like to know yeah (laughs) after the show we've purposely not given their (laughs) their contacts out john smith and joan smith and uh trust me right yeah no five 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 yeah yeah so that first park that that uh my wife and i bought um you know and this is part for for some of those that don't have a lot of money getting into the space you know for less than a cost of a single family home, you can pick up a smaller mobile home park, right? And then the scalability from that is whatever X that that home rent might be. But so that essentially what we did, um, I struggled finding an inspector that would go, we're about 40 minutes south of Kansas City. Um, it's kind of a, I guess, a desert for contractors or inspectors. Um, nobody really wanted to go. So I, I finally found um, a Doug, I'll give you a first name. So he he um, he went and inspected the the mobile homes there. Um, I called him after we closed or before we closed and said, "Hey, I'm struggling to find a property manager. Like nobody will do property management down there either." So he said, "Well, I'll talk to my let me talk to my wife because he didn't really know anyone offhand that would." And his wife has a background in some corporate work and um, project management work. So they've, they've just been a great team um, together. And then they've been willing to grow with us and scale with us. So they, they see the potential and where we're going with it. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to create uh, legacy wealth for, for our families, for our kids. And, and like most people just create a great community and, and value for our residents. Um, somewhere they're proud to live and, and uh, call home. So um, that's, but that's the short story of how we found, how we found them and they've just been great in scaling up with us. And I, I think what's really been beneficial for us with having that team and kind of the, the initial team anyway, we've had other contractor teams that we've pulled together in Kansas city. For example, we have another team of five uh, contractors that all work together. They're actually going to live in our Iowa parks and rehab them for a few months at a time, which, I mean, if you can find people like that, I definitely won't be sharing those names anytime soon, (laughs) but, um, but going back to that initial husband wife team, the other thing that's been great about them is they've just completely like jumped in and learned our system. So we use Buildium, for example, for our our property management and she's in there at least as much as I'm in there. So she's helping me like she's pulling the rents, she's pulling reports, she's training our new managers. We're actually going to be on site in a couple of weeks doing a day training for all of them, getting them up to speed on, I mean, not just building them, everything else as well, but that helps us a ton where we don't have to be the ones that are necessarily hands-on all the time because we've got a team that we trust and that can be up there within a couple of hours if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously making sure we've got good on-site managers as well. 
So I think, and to give you an example for like Doug today, he's right now he's traveling to Missouri to, uh, he's got a couple of cashier's checks to close on a mobile home that we're purchasing there. And we, you know, we got off Facebook marketplace. And so, you know, they're, they're able to drop what they're doing and, and take care of those things for us that we, we obviously can't do being out here and we're, we're in, you know, Idaho. So it takes us a full day just to get to Kansas city off of a couple of flights. Sure. No, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head a little bit that having a team that's flexible is key. I mean, for most of us, we have to start, and maybe we always keep this by the way, keep start with a day job or you can keep always keep the day job. And that's, you, you miss out on stuff like that. And when dad and I started, we both had day jobs. It was like, Hey, can you go? No. Can I go? No. Go tomorrow is too late. So we didn't have a team, you know, and we weren't big enough to have a team or we didn't have enough project with a team. Uh, at least that's what we thought. So it's the, the bigger your team gets, the bigger your portfolio gets. It does feel like some, in some respects it's a lot harder, but in some respects it's easier because it's like, I told you guys before the show, my my uh, internet at my office quit working an hour ago. I was like, crap, I got to get home. So I, I lived 12 minutes away. I drove home. I got an office at home also. Um, but I got somebody else working on the internet right now. So I can go back there, uh, have another call in an hour and a half. And hopefully I'll be back at my regular desk. And I don't have to ask the wife and kids to go play outside for another hour. But um, just having a team makes, makes life easier, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think for uh, Brett has done a nice job in in helping us scale with sourcing. Uh, we, we utilize uh, virtual assistants, like a lot of operators do in a lot of aspects. But we've uh, a lot of his time was being taken up with underwriting deals, um, where if we can outsource that type of thing, um, you know, it just frees us up to make connections with people, and you know, like the deal flow has been pretty cool. You know, we starting out, you don't, if you don't know anybody, it it's just, it's a grind to even try to get somebody to stay on the phone with you for, for more than 10 seconds. Right. Um, but we've, we've been able to develop relationships quickly and find other people in the space that are just willing to hustle and, you know, bust their butts to, um, get into the space and help find us deals and things like that. So, um, that's been part of the success with our scalability as, as well, going from two parks last fall to now, now up to like eight in less than a year. So that's great. Well, let's touch on that a little more, Brett. I know for Brett, because I know you're you're the IT guy. So obviously using VAs is probably going to come easier to you than than most. But can you shed any secrets on that as far as where do you find them? Are you going through like an Upwork or Fiverr or are you find them on? Are they American VAs that speak English and you pay 10 or $15 an hour? Or is it some foreign VA that's doing, you know, data research and they don't speak any English and you pay them 50 cents a day or whatever you pay them. Um, I've tried VAs myself um, and another member of my team does, he's got somebody in Florida and, and she works out really well. But for some of the VAs I've tried, it's been, it's been like pulling teeth, you know, at times. And, uh, and I've, For sure. I've been going the opposite route is hiring more kind of executive assistant or secretarial roles in, that I can see and touch and kick if I have to, right. Versus, versus <laughs> they're, in, they're in <laughs> Philippines and, you know, I don't, I don't speak that Filipino. Right. So uh, what can you share on that? And what's, yeah, what, what sure. tasks are they working on? I'm interested in as well. Yeah, no, so to your point, I've had a lot of experience in my career with contractors and offshore, uh, teams. And what I will say from my experience working with uh, Suncrest Capital and 
finding our own contractors, you do see a lot of churn, unfortunately, where you've got to go through four or five people before you get to the right person that's, that's good for you. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we had to say goodbye to our graphic designer that was helping us out with the website and logos and everything because it was just, it wasn't working out great. So we're on to finding another one right now. Um, so I think just being willing to churn and find the right person. We do interviews too. So uh, we, we usually use Upwork. We've tried uh, Fiverr and a couple others, but Upwork is kind of the one that I, I like to use for a number of reasons. But um, we do several interviews before we identify who we're going to start with. And then even then it may not be the perfect fit. So that's one of the nice things about having a contractor is it's really easy to terminate a contract. Um, so some of the tasks we do, uh, they range from very basic. Uh, we've got a contractor, for example, that we just set up with a, a VPN phone because she was having a hard time from the Philippines calling and getting into to call mobile home park. She's helping us out now with rent comps. Um, we've got people that are doing uh, looking Facebook every day, uh, every about every 12 hours, scouring Facebook marketplace for homes. Um, uh, Ryan touched on the group that we're using for underwriting. And just before you panic there, because I, I listened to your episode a few weeks ago on underwriting, <laughs> they're doing the first wave of underwriting. So it generally saves me about five to 10 hours of my time because they'll wow. go through all of the, uh, all the T12, they'll go through the, uh, the OM, all the details, and they usually can give me a summary of everything. And then within about 30 to 60 minutes of my own time, I kind of can get to a point of whether or not it's worth it for me to spend more time on it. And I mean, actually just, sorry, diverging for a second, before I even will send them a deal, we have a ton of criteria we go through before we'll even waste that time because we're paying those guys 25 an hour, which as you know, for an onshore resource, let alone offshore, 25 an hour is pretty decent compensation. So we want to be careful with that time, but it's worth it to me because it's protecting my time too. So anyway, on that divergence, we're really strict about location uh, like Ryan touched on, we've got to be within three to five hours of Kansas City because that's where our team is. We both have day jobs. We can't be going to Florida for stuff. We've got to have a team we can rely on that can help us with stuff. So, I mean, having that strict geography, we can say no to a lot of stuff really fast. Um, and then just kind of looking at a few other aspects of the deal, we can tell whether or not it's going to work. And then if it's kind of in that gray area, that's where I'll have this offshore team underwrite it for me. And then I'll take the deeper dive if things are looking good on it. So, Anyway, bottom line with contractors, you got to be willing to be patient and churn a bit, unfortunately. You also got to be willing to put in some time to, to train because um, they, they need a lot of guidance, I think, up front, especially. Sure. No, it's, it's training in general is just, a, you know, it's part of life, owning a company, but it's, it's yeah. a time suck. It's challenging, but it's, um, it's necessary at times as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you mentioned geographic boundaries. That that makes sense. It's kind of finding your footprint, um, finding your niche. And I know, Ryan, you mentioned earlier, you know, when you got started, it was harder to get somebody to take you seriously or get a phone call from a broker. What it, Now you guys have closed combination of deals. What's the attack plan going forward? I mean, how much of your time are you spending looking at, like I looked at a broker deal this morning and I feel like I wasted 20 minutes of my life because mm-hmm. it was so, so crazy on price. And I, I told my colleague, I said, and I've got to, I've got to park in this exact same market. And I said, if this one sells for this price, I'm selling my other park with this broker because there's no way it should, it should, it should be anywhere near this. Um, and I don't think it will, but um, it, it sometimes feels like the broker market, the brokers have access to lots of deals. 
I know a lot of brokers. Some of them I really like, some of them I don't care for, but sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my time chasing those deals. But, but then again, that's where there's deals there. And then you guys just close some deals that were on market. So how do you, how, what's the attack plan going forward as far as broker deals versus from your own organic search? Well, I completely agree with you. I, there are certainly, certainly brokers that I get a package from and I hardly spend any time on it because I know it's going to be way overpriced and, you know, like, so I've definitely come to learn whose deals to pay attention to and which ones not to pay attention to. So as you mentioned, the one in Iowa, we, we got on market, it was listed without a price tag on it. Um, so that made it a little bit more challenging to kind of figure out where, where to settle. But after three months of negotiations, we got into a price on it. And actually you were part of that negotiation. So you're familiar with that. Going forward, we're going to continue looking at brokers and networking with, uh, with, especially with local brokers that kind of are in a market that aren't necessarily national. Um, we're continuing to try to expand our network there. We also have a couple of folks cold calling for us. Um, so far, we haven't actually closed on anything there, but we've had several sellers talk to us and we've got a handful. Ryan's actually got kind of a cool story there. We've got a handful that are like kind of warm leads that we're talking to and hopefully we'll close with. The three we've got under contract in Missouri, just to give you an idea of kind of the mix of how we're finding deals, two are from a wholesaler. And that's the one Ryan touched on that we had a short due diligence timeline on, unfortunately, because of the dude that we were under the, the wholesaler's contract. Um, although we did get an extension, we were able to negotiate there. But the other one we actually uh, got from our network. So someone, uh, the person that brought it to us is a junior owner on that deal. And he basically said, Hey, I don't, I don't know if the primary owner is interested in selling, but I'm interested in selling. Maybe we can make something work. And he kind of helped back channel that for us. So that was, uh, that was kind of convenient, not necessarily cold calling, but building sure. network to, to get that deal. Those are the, those are the best ones where they fall in your lap because something you did yesterday, exactly. you're like, I had one recently where it was like a client couldn't get it, couldn't get a loan because he wasn't local. And he's like, Hey, I got this deal. I can't get a loan. If you want to, waive my legal fees and pay a small fee. I'll let you have it. I was like, works for me. I, I wouldn't find it. I didn't find that deal. So yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's like, yeah, build a, build a brand, build a reputation network, treat people right. And occasionally you get an easy one. For sure. And I, I think there's a lot to be said, like once you close a park, I've heard brokers say that multiple times that oh, if yeah. you have a park, they trust you more than if you don't, because there's a lot of tire kickers. But even just being able to prove that you can close, like that you can get it across the finish line um, is, is kind of huge. And people will talk to you a little bit more. That's, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. Is, um, not just once, but how big is your portfolio and stuff? I, I, I try to keep a relatively low profile on the acquisition side. Um, or on, but same time, I talked to a broker one day. He goes, oh, I got you down for this many. I go, what, what about this one? This goes, oh, you own those? It's a different LLC. I was like, yeah, that's me. And then I've got, it's funny, I've got a client that, he doesn't know what I own, but he sends me junk mail like once a month. And it's, here's the best part. He paid me. It was only like 10 minutes, but he paid me to draft the letter to send to Mon Pa. And I now get that letter in the mail from him on a regular basis. And I'm like, he doesn't even know this is my park. And I'm like, and I'm not selling it to him, but I, I've never told him, but, I'm, but I, I chuckle every time I get it. I'm like, I'm literally getting, and my, and my dad doesn't know that I, did the legal work for this guy. So he sends them to my dad who owns it. Who's the, who's the contact name apparently on a park we have in Illinois. And dad's like, Hey, we got it. If you ever want to sell, this guy says he pays top dollar. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I know that's what the letter says, but. Uh, <laughs> I wrote the letter. <laughs> I wrote the letter. I told my dad, I wrote that letter. Yeah. So uh, anyway. 
Yeah, I think, and and to the point of the those that are they're they're just trying to break in in some way, um, because that that that's where I started, right? But now Brett and I, we get to talk to people that are either referred to us or they find us on our like website or LinkedIn or whatever. Um, and and we're, we're good with giving people time and just getting to know them and just figuring out how to add value to them and how they could possibly add value to us. So that's how we've gotten a, a couple of people to essentially partner with us making cold calls. Um, uh, or if they hear of a deal, they're going to send it to send it to us to take a quick look at. Um, so as long as you can find, even if you don't have money to, to get started, but you, you can help people like us who are growing quickly uh, in some aspect, you know, because we pay like a finder's fee, like a lot of people will, or we'll give some ownership percentage, like a lot of people will as well for, deal, for deals. And they can kind of learn along with us as, you know, we have a lot to learn still. Every, every deal, as you know, uh, has its own unique uh, things happen. And so, you know, I think Brett said getting deals to the closing, the finish line. And we, we used you for the, uh, the Iowa deals and you help tremendously. Like, I, I can't say enough of like the contracts that, that uh, we were able to utilize from you uh, will save 10x plus of what we spent on that just based on, I'll, I'll let Brett kind of tell the story of uh, what the sellers tried to do right at, right at the end and how your contract um, helped us a lot on that part. Well, so we were buying from a group that owns several mobile home parks and has for 20 years or so. They've, they've just they're I think they're kind of at the stage where they're starting to divest of their portfolios. We'll continue looking at them, but they were kind of trying to strong arm us really down to the wire. It was like 15, I'm not even kidding, 15 minutes before we're supposed to fund. And like the funding cutoffs 2.30, we're at 2.15 PM. They're trying to say that they should get all the background. So any rent we collect after closing, they get, and that makes by the way, no sense to me. Why would I do all the work to go collect this just to pay it to you? Like, if, if anything, I would just come in and be the hero to all these people and say, hey, I'm waiving your rent because I'm not getting it anyway. What's the point? But fortunately, uh, Ferd's contract had in there, and frankly, I'd forgotten that it was in there. So I'm glad Ferd was on these emails, um, had in there that we had already agreed that we got all the back rent. So that alone was worth it, worth several thousand to us per park, and it was four parks. So definitely um, a nice lesson learned there to make sure you got a bulletproof contract. Thanks for the shout out. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I've had that happen before where the sellers, they know, I mean, you guys were, I say you're already pregnant on the deal. Like you were going to close. You're 15 minutes away. We're talking about eight or $9,000 on a multi-million dollar transaction. So they know you're going to close. So they'll just be like, Oh, we're getting the back rent. And I'm like, if it's the seventh of the month, as we sit here and record this, Okay, and you you collect July rent. I think it's reasonable to give them the seven days of July rent if you later collect it. But June rent, May rent, April rent, a year ago rent, I take the position, hey, seller, you had a chance to collect that. Mm-hmm. You didn't. Mm-hmm. And what I can't have you do is have some sort of lien against my new tenants. So you're shaking them down post-closing, perhaps taking them to court, perhaps garnishing their wages, taking their tax refund, tech, taking their paychecks. And now my tenant base is less stable because you're harassing them. So I put in the, I had this happen once years ago. So I put in the contract, I get all rights to back rent, including prior, you know, prior months, et cetera. You got till the day of closing to collect it or don't. So in, in this case, the guy, he had forgotten um, and his attorney forgot that that was in there. And it, it's good to put it in, I used to put it in just the bill of sale and the assignment of leases for at closing, 
But as it happened in this case, the guy at closing redlines that provision says, I'm not going to agree to that. Yeah. So he, oh, yeah. So We'd already signed the assignment of leases at that point days yeah. before, and then they tried changing it last minute. Right. So that's why we said, hey, go look at the underlying contract. It says buyer gets right to all back rent, and you will sign a form, a bill of sale, a form of assignment of leases at closing. And these guys were at that point, they became honorable and they're like, okay, our bad. We didn't see it in there. And they signed, mm-hmm. but they, they were just, you're, you're right. They're being bullies or being strong handed. And this was a term that had been negotiated months earlier. And the beauty of negotiating months earlier is it was not contentious at that time. Right. And, and it wasn't even relevant. And in the meantime, they get a long due diligence period because of the complexity of this portfolio that two, three, four months have passed. They haven't got rent. All of a sudden there's now government aid programs that are about to send big checks. So the rent was real. It wasn't just po- pending eviction. It was like, no, there's, there's thousands of dollars coming. So yeah, I'm glad that worked out for you, for you guys. I'm glad that you got this thing over the hump. I mean, that's, that's one lesson learned, right? Is uh, just remember what's in your contract, remember what's important to you, but what are some other lessons learned in that portfolio? I know that was a, you guys had changed banks. Title company was complicated at times. You had lots of DD, I think that would be a, an eye-opening. I'm sure you guys learned a bunch on that and, and maybe some things that you do do differently the next time around. But um, what are the, what stories from that can you share with our, our audience? Yeah, so th- there were a handful of things that happened. Within, so we closed on the 25th. And just the last couple of weeks of that, there were a handful of things that kind of landed that really put us at risk of closing. So one of them you touched on there was we switched banks. So we had a bank several months ago give us a commitment Um 4.5% interest rate, 70% loan to value. So pretty decent deal considering that the occupancy of the portfolio is hovering around 65%. Um, but we had a local credit union come to us about six weeks ago saying that they would give us 70% loan to cost. So they'd be funding 70% of our CapEx budget, which is huge for us um, because we've got a lot of CapEx going on up there. And they were going to miss sub 4% rate. So better rate, some interest only, uh, refinance terms were better. Everything looked better about this deal. The problem was we didn't, there were still like some contingencies on that loan where they weren't firm, like going to sign. So I shouldn't have done this really in retrospect, this was kind of a learning that I should have just made the switch as soon as that we were confident, but we, there were just small contingencies that I wasn't hundred percent sure this new loan was going to close on us. So literally six business days before closing, I still hadn't chosen which bank we were going to close with. And so titles confused, Ferdinand I was confused. Computer. I didn't know what was going on. I'd look at Miller. I know. Are they switching lenders? <laughs> well, and I'm like, I'm trying to play the game where I'm telling title, hey, I'm, I'm dating two girls. You can't tell them that I'm dating each other, right. you know, kind of thing. And that that was kind of a nightmare, frankly. So we made the call to switch over to this credit union in, in Iowa. They closed for us. They were fantastic. Um, and I mean, really down at the wire, they we also had to switch it from one loan for all four to four different loans. So it's quadruple the paperwork. Um you know, say another one for anybody out, out of state, another big learning I had, I had a mobile notary print all the documents and bring them to me for signing. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of pages that I had to sign because it's four different loans, four different contracts, everything, right? And um, halfway through signing, I'm realizing that certain documents that I had on one park weren't showing up for the second park. So I started reconciling all the documents. Turns out I'm missing documents and I, I'm down to like an hour and a half to sign all this stuff and get it overnighted to meet the, the deadline. So my learning was if you're out of state signing, go to a title company. They do courtesy closings where you can pay them. They print it off. You're right there. They're a little bit more, prof- I'm, I'm probably a lot more professional, a lot more organized, a lot more experienced than maybe a mobile notary. So if you can't be in person for it, 
I, that's what I'm planning to do for the future. Yeah. Here's a, here's another tip. I don't, I don't know about Idaho, but in, in Missouri, you're, you're not allowed to notarize yourself, but you can notarize your spouse. So my wife is a notary. My secretary's a notary. Wow. My, pro- my property manager's notaries. Cause you got to use your notary all the time on these 21st mortgage docs when you sell homes too. So I got notaries all over the place and I don't have to put mobile notaries expensive. It's like 250 yeah. bucks a pop versus a one time oh, yeah. fee of $50 for my, so my wife's my notary. And she's just like, are you buying more parks? You know, I may not notarize this. So I'm like, yeah, oh, what did she charge you for it? What did your What's wife that? charge you? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, then, she, she doesn't charge me, but uh, yeah. yeah. Another piece on the, on the two um, girls that Brett was dating, the slash the, the lenders. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the excerpt we're going to put on LinkedIn when we promote this. Brett says, I'm dating two girls, and I couldn't tell them. Yeah, please we're, don't. We're going to tag yeah, as well. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the, first, the first one, they didn't require uh, phase ones. So, but the, the second bank did. And uh, one, of, one of the parks, so this is a dealing with the environmental companies too. Um, one of the parks has a bunch of vacant land. And so next to where the vacant land was, there used to be, what was it? It was like a salvage. It was a salvage yard 30 plus years ago. Yeah. 30 something years ago. And so that triggered phase two. Well, originally they, they wanted to do phase two at all four parks. And it's like, no, the issue is only at one. So we got them to just do the, the phase one at, at the one park. Um, but that that went all the way up to getting those results was like the last hurdle, um, and it was scheduled for June twenty fourth to get the phase two, and we were supposed to close June twenty fifth. So, <laughs> so yeah. luckily, I mean, we had to get on the environmental company and and uh, see if there was anything coming at us as far as is there any mediation or mitigation to anything they found. Well, they didn't find anything. Um, but it held, it definitely held things up. It cost us a little bit more money at the end and, and a little bit of seller concession for, uh, or our concession to the sellers. Um, but yeah, lesson, lesson learned on, on that piece. Yeah. Phase one, phase two, I've had to go through that several times. It's just no picnic either, but, uh, yeah, the lesson I would suggest on that is we always get bids right out of the gate on those. And then if we know we need to get them and then I've learned to go with guys that, don't find problems, frankly. I mean, there's some companies that, uh, there's one here in Kansas City I don't use anymore that when I used to do retail, we used them. They're more expensive to do big development ground, but they'd have a low ball bid for the phase one and they'd get the work and then they'd always come back. You know, we think you should probably do a phase two. It's kind of a gray area. We think you should do a phase two. Well, you got to do it then. It's like, you can't get go against medical advice on that one. So I got to get the uh-huh. phase two. Well, now I'm in for another 10 grand versus somebody else charges $500 extra for the phase one and they shoot you straight, right? They, you don't need this. Here's a problem. There are no recognized environmental conditions. You don't have to go through the phase two or go through the borings and core samples and ground penetrating radar, et cetera. But I did have it happen where I did it. I, I bought a park in Illinois, got a phase one, came back clean. Didn't think anything about it. Bought the park. Two years later, I go to sell it. My buyer is going to get it. He asked me for my phase one. I give it to him. It's clean. I said, why would you buy a different, go hire a third party company? just hire this company. It's going to cost like 250 bucks to update it instead of 2000. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't, he didn't trust me or something. So he went and got a different company. His company says it fails to phase one. So I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. So I call my guy. 
So here's what the other guy. So, so here's the here's the here's the best part actually. I don't even get to call my guy. The buyer sees my guy's company name and, and personal name in the report, calls him, and says, "My new guy says that you're wrong. You made a mistake and you were too aggressive and you should have called for a phase two for fur." And he's recording this. And the guy says, yeah, I could see how the, yeah, I was probably being a little aggressive. I could see why you should get a phase two. Yeah, I'd probably go for it. So I get a copy email, the transcription of this, like, like this guy's name is Lance. I call Lance and I was like, what the hell, Lance? You just, I now have to pay for a phase two. And, and I saw he, so Lance and I agree he's going to do a part of it for free. Mm-hmm. Well, the new guy, the buyer's like, well, your guy Lance is incompetent. We already proved that. I'm not going to hire him. So now I got to pay a different phase two guy to fix my phase one that I paid $2,000 for two years prior. So even when you do it right, it still didn't work out right for me. And it ended up the phase two cleared, sold the park. It just cost me a few thousand bucks, but man, I was pissed. It was like, what was I, what could I have done better than hire a phase one environmental engineer and then rely on the report and you know, right. still didn't work. Right. But anyway, lesson learned there is don't hire Lance. <laughs> yeah <laughs> good to know yeah that's what i might ask for a last name on after the call <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, i think one thing that did go really well with closing though that I, I i'm a huge fan of partnering and i can tell you like all along why it's been beneficial for me to be partnering with ryan but during closing we had our we have our entities set up that i can be the only signer which we learned with our first park it was a nightmare like no kidding for we're there with all of our like our wives are there signing we're signing oh. and it's just it was just a circus because I've got a million children to running around me at signing. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so we had it, we have our entity set up that I can be the only signer uh, when we're closing, which is fantastic. Cause then last week or during that same week, Ryan was out in Missouri the whole week doing really thorough due diligence on our Missouri parks. And there was no way he could have stopped to, to sign anything. So that was just nice to be able to tag team. And I mean, I spent hours that week on signing. He spent even longer on due diligence and, both of us were like, I don't know how people do this on their own. You know, yeah. this is just, you can't be in two places at once unless you've got someone you trust. That's, that's a great point. That's how we do it now too, because it would be the same thing. And uh, we bought a mobile home the other day in Eastern Illinois. And the title company sends all these documents says, are you coming? It was four hours away from where my dad's at and said, are you going to be here for closing? And I was just like, People still go to title companies for no. I've not been to a closing company in five years. I'm not going to the closing for a. It was a nine thousand dollar mobile. I'm, I'm not going for a multi million dollar transaction. So the the lesson learned I've, there is you can close remote and one person can sign. You just need an authorizing resolution from the rest of the members allowing it, and it's man, it makes it easy um, compared to the old way. But yeah, you yeah. guys have figured it out. Yeah, there's no way we could scale uh, as fast as we have without one, our partnership relationship and having strengths, the other, um, the other doesn't necessarily. So that's huge in finding, finding a partner that balances your, um, your areas of growth, I, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, and then like, like you said, I was on the phone with Ford measuring lots next to a dumpster in a park in Missouri and trying to figure this stuff out before closing. And, Brett scrambling, signing documents. So yeah, you, you have to have a good team in place uh, for sure. And I, I think a big part of 
that scalability too is putting the systems in place for not only your manager, regional manager, manager team, but you know we're we're utilizing um, what a lot of people you know purchasing platform, which you know Frank and Dave preach, and we've started using them, and that that's been a huge help so far. Um, we're still early in that process, but uh, just organizing we. Gosh, we have what 15 to 20 homes we're going to be rehabbing here in the first 16 to 20 weeks. Um, and just keeping all of those expenses separated by park, um, that type of thing helps a ton. And they have a they have a team that does a lot of the due diligence pieces for you for getting multiple bids like on uh, resurfacing roads or tree work or whatever it is. Um, so finding those types of companies that you can get partnerships with that will save you time um, is, is big and just getting those people systems down. So you're not scrambling, making the kind of the minutia calls to banks or vendors. You, you've got people doing that for you, or you've got uh, systems in place that are doing that for you. No, I, I hear that a lot from people is create systems. And it's, it's kind of like this cliche word is like, everybody has to have their own system in the system. Like, and you got your example, for example, Brett's doing the signing, Brett's doing the underwriting, Ryan's doing more due diligence, or you just trade off roles. So that's, that's part of it is roles, separation of duties of people. And then also find a way to systematize this that, you know, I, I joke, you know, but to get something so easy from a from a hierarchical level that you could get a monkey to do it with enough bananas and if you can train all the way down and then there's there's some stuff that it's very simple like picking up the other end of the box very simple but knowing whether this box is to be thrown away or put in storage higher level knowing if the box is fragile higher level knowing if it's our box you know or you have to go through the abandoned housing act on the box all these different things and it's just I've learned, especially with a lot of the contractors, is just there's a lot of people who are good at taking direction, following direction, and there are fewer people who are good at creative thinking and problem solving, and and both sets of people are valuable, mm-hmm. and you got to get people in the right lane. One of my contractors, he's extremely talented, a lot more talented than I am on everything labor, but if he's in the middle of putting in 200 amp electric or middle of welding a hitch on, I don't know how to do that stuff. That's really important. But where he sometimes gets distracted is without a system that tells him, and the system says, do everything on this list in order, unless I direct you otherwise, or Austin directs you otherwise, and you give him a list every single day, he can do it. But otherwise, he'll be putting in electric and some resident will come by and say, hey, my, uh, my air conditioner is not working. Will you come look at it? And he'll go look at it. Oh, your thermostat's broke. Oh, let me run to Home Depot, get a thermostat. Let me come run and put it in. Oh, wait, now I, oh, you're, now that I'm here, oh, your toilet's like, let me fix that. And pretty soon it's dark. And we're like, where is this guy? He goes, oh, I was helping a resident. Like, that wasn't what you were supposed to be working on. That's not even on a park-owned home. You know, that was nice of you to help. But like, I got a permit inspection at four o'clock tomorrow and I need this electric hooked up. And it's an eight-hour job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, but I was doing good work. Like you were doing good work, but didn't understand the hierarchy of duties. So the system for us, we had to learn was just give it to him every single day and just do it in order. And if you, man, if you point and click in the right direction, he's a valuable member of the team. If you let him make his own decisions too much, you're going to fire him. I almost fired him 30 times, but he keeps doing (laughs) something great. I let him back around, but uh, from a micro level system to macro level and organizational, uh, I'm with you that it's the only way to, you know, 
get to bed by midnight and get all the work done is to have uh-huh. other people doing other stuff. Especially you guys, I used to do it. I, now I don't, I don't have a real job. Right. But I, I used to have a day job and I had to do this stuff at night and evening. It's just like, it's, you gotta have a system or you gotta be organized or you're gonna, you're gonna fail or you're gonna get fired from your real job because they're gonna figure out you're goofing off all the time. Yeah. We don't want that for sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I think that being an out-of-state owner for most of these parks that we own, uh, it is important to get on-site for the due diligence at, at some point. We have a good team; they could go and measure lots. They could they could look at pedestals. They could you know work with people to get sewer lines scoped, all that. But there's there's a ton of value in you with that ownership mindset being on-site because you're going to see things a little differently. Um, you're going to catch things that that, that, uh, others may not. Right. So, um, I also recommend wearing a, a safety vest and bringing a clipboard because then nobody really questions while you're, while you're walking around the park and <laughs> they just assume that you're, you're some kind of contractor and, and you could actually find out all kinds of interesting information when people do ask you like, Hey, and you, Oh, we're just checking the utilities and making sure everything's going well. How long have you lived here? And what, what's yeah. it like? And so you get some cool intel that way. Um, a quick story. We, the one it's, uh, you know, if we were talking class, the class type, it's a class, probably warfare park. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, technical <laughs> term. Yeah. yeah technical. <laughs> class C minus minus. Um, it, it's, we, we like, we like the value add for sure. Like a lot of people, but, um, so we're doing due diligence a couple of weeks ago there. And this guy behind an RV, he's digging up where the, where the sewer line connects in. So I just kind of go back there and, and talk to him a little bit and ask him, Hey, what, what are you working on? And he's like, well, these, these old clay pipes are, they're busted up. So that's good info to know, like the sewer is not working. It's actually a septic system. And so he sort of indicated he was going to fix it himself, which I thought was odd. Um, but then uh, probably an hour later when we're doing a drive-through video of the park and part of our document, you know, we're documenting everything. I see him in his front yard. He's drilling holes into a plastic like tote, like a storage container, like just drilling massive holes in them. And I'm like, that dude is making his own homemade septic system. He just dug that hole and he's going to stick that thing in the ground and put it. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I know if we close on this one, that's something we're going to have to fix. So um, there, there's value in being on site and seeing those types of things. There's a lot of uh, homemade gadgets like that, but man, what would make you think that I'm going to go create my own septic system out of you know, different, yeah. different idea than I would ever had, but uh, anyway. well, that's good stuff guys. Before we, before we jump, any other kind of final ideas or comments and, and then before I forget, remind us how to reach you guys as well. Go ahead, Brett. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just kind of echoing, I think the partnership model is is fantastic if you can find the right partner. Um, we, I didn't really get into this at the very beginning, but just quickly, you asked about our first couple of parks. So when I was first teetering on the mobile home park idea, I didn't really know what I didn't know. And so being able to find somebody like Ryan that already had experience and was willing to do a JV with me, that was kind of critical for me because I could learn that way. Like I said before, I'd already partnered with others on like multifamily and industrial, but learning something new. It's just kind of nice. It's almost like getting on the job training rather than having to learn for a year or two and then try to do something on your own. 
Um, that was pretty fantastic. So totally believe in that. Um, I'll, uh, so my email is just brett, B-R-E-T-T at suncrestcap.com. That's also our website, suncrestcap, so C-A-P, short for capital, suncrestcap.com. We're both active on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, so find us, reach out. Um, Ryan, what's your word of wisdom there at the end? Um, you know, for, I think for us, it's, it's fun. It, we enjoy it. It's, it can be stressful for sure. Um, but we're, you know, we both have day jobs. Any, anyone can do it if they've got the passion for it and, and kind of are doing it for the right reasons. So, um, yeah, we, we just love learning from each other, learning from our mistakes, learning from people that have done it for a lot longer than us, like you've heard. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of podcasters out there that, uh, do a lot of great content. So, um, I started, I was just a podcast junkie and read everything I could. And that's just, that's how I started. And then just started taking action. So I think a lot of people, like we talk to people from that they've quote unquote graduated from Frank and Dave's Academy and they haven't done anything like they they've taken no action. So taking that first step of taking some action, um, and then just keep grinding at it until, you know, you get that first deal and then it, it does, it opens up and snowballs from there, um, in good ways. If you keep at it. That's, that's a, that's a great point. It reminds me, I was just, you're saying about going to boot camp. There's guys that I know they've gone to boot camp numerous times and have not made an offer in a park. And I was just thinking, you said that in your quote, I went to a Tony Robbins event. I've been to a couple of Tony Robbins events and there's one called unleash the power within. And there was a guy in my little small group. He's like, yeah, this is my 19th time here. Whoa. And, and the guy probably weighed 500 pounds. And, you know, it was that one of his struggles was weight, his weight and his energy and his health and the systems, the knowledge that Tony Robbins provides is, is world-class and it was there, but he wasn't taking the action and he just, he'd do it for a day, a couple of days. He'd come back the next year. He'd come back the next year. Been doing it for a decade. Um, and he, you know, he's, he lost 500 pounds. He lost the same 50 pounds 10 times, put it back on again. So it reminds me of the quote, you know, knowledge is power is wrong. Is knowledge is potential power. Execution beats knowledge every day of the week. And that's the same thing you're talking about here is you, you had lots of knowledge from being a podcast junkie and that's not worthless, but if it's not, it's not worth much until you take that action and you mm-hmm. guys have obviously figured out how to do that figure out how to do it from joint venture. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Cool. Yeah. I love that quote. Ryan's email is the same as mine, by the way, it's just Ryan at signcrestcap.com. All right. Thanks for, look at that partnership. You're watching this back. <laughs> Make sure he gets added on the spam list. Yes, exactly. Email him first. No, just yeah. <laughs> reach out. We're happy to help. Uh, we've actually, like Ryan touched on before, we've taken on some junior partners that are helping us out and, you know, we, it's a win-win scenario. They help us out. We help, we kind of mentor a bit. So we're happy to help in any way. Learn. All right. Sounds good guys. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks Ferd. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.